I have a few things I need to call to our attention, announcements to make for those of our regular church family. First of all, if you are here as a guest and this is maybe your first time with us, uh, there is an additional fold on the bulletin if you would uh, be so kind as to, uh, there's a, there are pens at the Welcome Center. I realize when I say this all the time, I say, well, if you take time to fill that out and uh, put it in the offering box, which is located on the table in the Welcome Center, we'd sure appreciate it. But uh, we don't really provide you with pens, so if you need a pen, you can do that. Uh, you can find one out on the Welcome Center. We're just glad you're worshiping with us this morning. If you're part of our regular church family, uh, we would be glad to have you fill that out as well because it uh, is, gives you a chance to express your interest. You have prayer requests or something you need uh, assistance with or some way you want to get involved, uh, you can do it there as well. We have immediately after the service, well, I should say immediately, but at 12.15, we're having a get-to-know-us lunch, and that's just kind of a chance for uh, some of our church leadership, our elders, and, and myself to kind of share with you who we are, uh, give, a chance to see, give you a chance to see what our doctrine is, uh, what we believe, how this church is structured, uh, those kinds of things, and uh, give you a chance to get to know us and us to get to know you. So you're welcome to join us for that. We have some people who've signed up. If you haven't signed up and you would be interested in doing that, don't worry about it. Just show up. It's in the fellowship hall right behind the sanctuary here, uh, starting about 12.15. Some other things I need to let you know about. Um, Amy was telling you about the Easter egg hunt, which is an outreach, a local outreach that we do. We still need uh, candy. We still need eggs. And then we need people to help pack the eggs. There's a table out in the entryway. You can sign up or you can talk to Amy or Mike as, as well. Also, I said last week, I'm reminding you again this week, that our elders are taking uh, sabbaticals on a rotating basis to kind of just take a, a little break off. So Alan uh, Krim will, is now on his elder sabbatical. Uh, so he's still serving in many ways in the church, but he's not going to be regularly engaged in, uh, in elder ministry. And so that's uh, just something you need to know about. Uh, shins, uh, and people say, what's the shins? Okay, we say this all the time. What's the shins? It's the um, elderly folks, okay? <laughs> the wise ones in our congregation, okay? Uh, they're having an uh, Irish potato thing, go figure, you know? Uh, so they're having that, I think it's a week from, or it's on Saturday, so there's a sign-up sheet out there. And uh, they, don't, they, they welcome other people, so if you're, if you're not gray-haired or whatever, they're, they're welcoming. They, they'd love to have you join them, but you need to sign up so there's things to bring and stuff like that. It's always a hoot. Uh, they always have a good time, and it's a good group. So WMO, that's our Women's Missionary Outreach. They're having a work day this Thursday, I think it is. And just for your note, next Sunday... Well, Sunday morning at 2 a.m. is daylight savings, okay? So you need to remember to turn your clock ahead uh, or you're going to be really late uh, to church, okay? So just so, you, just so you know that. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, we are blessed uh, to worship you in spirit and in truth, and I pray uh, that you would open our eyes uh, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law as we seek to unwrap the packages of the gifts that you have bestowed upon us through the powerful work and the presence of your spirit. I pray 
uh, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that those of us who know you might be enriched and encouraged, and those of us who are here maybe just exploring or listening online, maybe we have never really crossed that threshold of, of trusting in you as our Savior, that we would take that step today. And I pray, Father, for the Word of God that goes forth in so many churches uh, here in the, the, the metro area, but not only here, but around the, the state of Iowa and the world, I pray uh, that you would continue to work to accomplish your purposes, that the word of God would not go forth void without accomplishing that for which you sent it. And we pray and trust you to do that, and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, gotta, I have to confess that when I was a child, uh, I was at Christmas, I was spoiled, Okay. I remember seeing my grandparents' Christmas tree and the packages were like mountains of packages around the tree and several of them had my name on it, okay? Well, every child of God, every person who has put their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross as the payment for their sins is... Someone who has been extremely gifted, showered with gifts by the Spirit of God in their life. That the, the, the multitude of gifts that God's Spirit showers us who have been justified by faith is, is tremendous. And we began to look at some of those last week. In fact, in chapter 8 of Romans, verses 1 through 8, we, we, discer- we considered three of those wonderful gifts And today, we're going to unwrap a few more of those gifts that God, by His Spirit, has has blessed those who are justified by faith with. And so if you have your Bibles, it's, it's, it's what it means, the gifts of what it means to be in the Spirit, those of us who are in the Spirit of God. So Romans chapter 8 is where I'm at. If you have a, a... on your phone or a device or if you want to use your own Bible or if you want to reach under the seat in front of you, there should be Bibles somewhere close to you. I'm reading Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 12 and reading through verse 17. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body... You will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may be glorified, also be glorified with him. As I look at the text of Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, it seems to me that Paul opens up to us and reveals three more blessings for God's children that provide believers with, first of all, confidence in our battle against sin. Confirmation that we really are in Him. And then courage to suffer in these days because we know the end. Because we know the end. And so 
we're going to look at these in the text and walk through them. The first one is this, that God's Spirit arrests, and by arrest I mean stops, helps, halt uh, our depravity. And there are three considerations that I see <clears throat> found in the text. And the first is, what's the requirement? There's the requirement given for believers to actually kill sin. The text starts in verse 12, so then, and the, the so then, brethren, points to the necessary conclusion for believers based upon what he has just said. The marvelous privileges that are given to us who are in the Spirit, okay? Uh, we're, we're not in the flesh. If you look at Romans chapter 8, verse 9, he says, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. So then, that's kind of the summary, you're, you're not in the, in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. So then, what's the conclusion? So then, well, we're in the Spirit, which means that our minds are set on and our lives are oriented to the things of the Spirit. The Spirit's priorities, the Spirit's practices, the Spirit's perspectives, God's Spirit. If we're in the Spirit, that means that we should be oriented and, and directed in these ways. Okay? So therefore, given that, we're under obligation. Now, it's interesting how he says this. We're under obligation not to the flesh. Because we're in the Spirit. Not to the flesh. Not to the sinful passions. Not to the sinful priorities. Not to the sinful practices of the flesh. Okay? Of our corrupt human nature. No, that's not us. We're under obligation not to the flesh to live to conduct our lives according to the flesh, according to those sinful desires and deeds. No, that's not us. That's not, who we're, that's not who we are. We're not under the sinful nature's domination. We're not under the sinful nature's direction. That's not who we are. So we're not supposed to live that way. So what's the implication? You're not to live. You're not... You know, so then you are not under obligation to live according to the flesh. No, the implied obligation is that we're to live according to the spirit. That's we're supposed to live like who we are. Obligation to live in the spirit. As those who are in the spirit, we should live by the spirit. As genuine followers of Jesus, we're supposed to do the things that genuine followers of Jesus do. We should have the priorities and the perspectives of God's Spirit. Look, I'm an adult. I'm under no obligation to live as a child. In fact, I'm under obligation to live as an adult. If I'm in the Spirit, I'm under no obligation to live according to the flesh. I'm under absolute obligation to live according to the Spirit. Of who I am, my identity. I think that's what Paul's saying. That's the, that's the requirement. So then he gives the reason why we're supposed to kill sin. Okay? If you look at verse 13, he says, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Well, the if could be translated uh, because believers are under obligation to the, under, not under obligation to the flesh because. If you're living according to the flesh, you're going to die. And if you're going to die, then you're not in the Spirit. So that's not what you're supposed to be doing. We shouldn't be doing that. So 
We are not under the obligation to the flesh to live according to its human desires and its deeds. And if we are, we must die. Look at chapter 8, verse 6. He said, for the mind set on the flesh is death. So, fleshly focused life, uh, especially a fleshly focused, and I'm speaking to people who are in church, and Paul's speaking to people in Rome who actually were, you know, part of the church of Rome, people who were gathering, proclaiming that they knew Jesus. Fleshly focused religious people, I'll say that again, fleshly focused religious people are not actual believers. They're pretenders. Okay? If we're just coming to church, but our life is focused on the fleshly pursuits, the passions, perspectives, priorities, and practices of the flesh as a way of life, conduct ourselves as a way of life, then we're pretenders whose professions and associations belie our actual identity as in the flesh. If we're pretending, if we're just saying it, we're, we're not there. We're, we're actually unredeemed if we're just pronouncing it but not living it. The ungodly are destined to die. That's what he says. Because um, unlike our soft on crime society, uh, God actually holds us accountable. God actually punishes sin. And he will punish sin. God never wavers from his just punishment of sin. Some of you have heard, and it's very disturbing, that this young gal, Lake and Riley, who was uh, murdered in Athens, Georgia recently, okay? Senselessly murdered this last week. She, a young woman died needlessly because swift and appropriate punishment was not meted out to the culprit for previous offenses committed. The person had been guilty of other offenses that were not punished God's not that way God will punish sin he he will for sure and that's it to live under the domination and the direction of the flesh is incompatible with our identity in Jesus it's just not who we are and so if we say that we're that and we aren't living it then we're not truly a child of God on the contrary And this is verse 13. On the contrary, believers have an obligation to kill the flesh. To kill what's in the flesh. Um, Scripture, you know, sometimes we we think, well, you know, we just have to, God is love and just believe in Jesus and uh, you're you're fine. And and that's, that's true. I'm not saying that's not true. Okay, don't hear me saying that. But there is this test to see if we're really in Jesus. And Paul is saying here that we need to live it out. So what is the root? There's a requirement. There's a reason for the requirement because that's not who we are if we're naming the name of Jesus. And what's the pathway, the root, in order for us to kill sin? Well, notice the verse, end of verse 13. He says, But if, you, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God have not received... Or, All who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you're going to live. If you are doing the deeds of the flesh, you're going to die. If you do the deeds of the Spirit, you will live. That's what I meant to say. You're going to live, all right? Notice he starts, but if by the power of the Spirit indwelling you, we are habitually putting to death. That's key. 
You put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's not a one and done deal. Oh yeah. I, I, uh, I told a lie one time, so I'm done with that. Well, I don't know. You might be tempted to tell another lie sometime. And you might actually tell a lie, another lie. So it's constantly, it's not habitually putting to death the deeds of the body by refusing to give in to sin's desires and its demands and its deeds. If you give it no traction, all right, then we're fulfilling our obligation in the spirit. As long as we're continually putting to death the deeds of the, of the flesh and, and as a Christian, and we'll live, we'll live out the full riches of our eternal life in Christ. We'll live it out. We'll be who we are. You know, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly, Jesus said. But we don't have an abundant life if we continue to live in sin. But if we, if we, if we constantly put to death the deeds of the flesh, then we get a taste of what that eternal life is, the fullness of that eternal life that we've been given in Christ. We experience it now, we taste it now, and we have the feast later, okay? That's how he's saying it. Look at verse 8, or I'm sorry, verse 11 of chapter 8. He says, but if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. This is it. It's Life in Christ now that continues for eternity if we're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Scottish theologian named David Brown says, if you don't kill sin, sin will kill you. If you don't kill sin, sin will kill you. So, how do we do that? In the power of the Spirit. So I'm just going to offer you a few steps to tap into the Spirit's power in order for us to put sin to death. Now again, this is not a formula. Again, it's not a one and done. These are things we need to continually do as believers. This is part of our process of becoming like Christ. All right. Uh, don't forget Romans chapter 7, the last few verses, 14 through 25. The very things that I don't want to do are the very things that I do, and the things that I, I, I do want to do are the very things that I don't do. Now that's kind of a paraphrase, but this is it. So here's the struggle. First of all, how do we put this, these things to death? Well, we see first of all, I'm talking about God's Spirit powers us to eliminate evil. How does God's Spirit power us to eliminate evil? Well, first of all, here's the way we should look at it. First of all, we need to pray. I can't get rid of what I don't know, right? Identification is the first key to elimination when it comes to sin. The psalmist says this, search me, O God, and know me. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God. a dangerous prayer you want God's radar you want his x-ray on your life his light to shine in the darkness and expose the crud that's there I mean it's just wild I'm sitting there this morning in the first service and I'm I'm praying we're having this service and all of a sudden this, this violent thought went through my mind 
you know, of some violent thing I would do if somebody uh, attacked me or my, my wife. Where does that come from? Well, from the pit of hell. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Why don't you meditate on that, Steve, instead of meditating on the cross of Christ and what he's done for you? So here it is. We need to pray, expose it. Secondly, prioritize heavenly, uh, prioritize the heavenly. What, what is heavenly? The, what, what is of God? And we prioritize what's heavenly through our saturation with the word of God, right? Through our service in the ways of God and through our speaking with the workers of God. I, I, I can prioritize what's heavenly as I'm saturated with the scriptures, I come to church, I read the Bible on my own, I listen to podcasts, I listen to the scriptures, I sing, I listen to music, worship music, I'm saturating my mind with the truth, okay? I serve in the ways of God, interesting way that people forget about, that we become more like Jesus when we actually act like Jesus, and Jesus served people. He came not to be served, but to serve. And so when we serve, and then when we speak to the people of God, you know, it's interesting when I'm around people who are walking with Jesus and I'm talking to them, it's like, it kind of like, yeah, that's cool. I, that, that, that kind of motivates me, encourages me to be more like Jesus. And so it's, it's this priority of, of the things of God. And if you want a verse, here's the verse, verses, just some verses, Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3. Since then you have been raised up with Christ, which that's our identity. We've been raised up with Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses uh, 3 through 6. We've been raised with him in the uh, likeness of, of his resurrection, so too we will walk in newness of life. Since then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's who you are. So think on these things. Set your mind on these things. How do you do that? Saturation with the Word of God. Serving in the ways of God. Speaking with the workers of God. Just some ideas. That's not the only ways, okay? There's other, other ways to do that. So we pray and we prioritize. And then thirdly, we put off. What's ungodly? Um, we consciously avoid what tempts us. Now, you know, and we can make generalizations, but some of us, I used to sit in these uh, ministerial meetings, we'd be talking to guys who were wanting to become ordained. They wanted to become, you know, ordained pastors. And one of the guys would say, what's your Achilles heel? What's he talking about? What's your, you know, you have this Achilles heel. What is it that really gets you? If you, if you whack that thing off, you can't, you can't walk. So what is it in your life that tempts you the most? We need to avoid, consciously avoid that which tempts us. And Paul shares like some uh, representative sins that might fall into that category in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, consider yourselves dead. Like, I'm dead to that. Consider yourselves dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Consider yourselves dead. That's one of the ways that we, we, we put it off. Daily, I would submit, we need to consider ourselves dead. 
I need to consider myself dead to things like, yeah, immorality, uh, other things like jealousy, uh, like pride, um, gluttony, all kinds of stuff we need to consider ourselves dead to, okay? So that's consciously avoiding what tempts us. And I'm telling you, if you watch TV, listen to the radio, if you're on social media at all, you are bombarded with stuff that you need to consider yourself dead to. I mean, like, if I'm looking at uh, some social media stuff and all of a sudden there's this, what in that world is that? I, I mean, I didn't ask for that. I didn't search for that. I didn't do anything for that. I just got this picture, uh, you know, some uh, seductive looking thing. And I'm just like, uh, what is that? Well, it's Satan temptation. You know, it's, uh, it's the, the algorithms of the, the techno geeks are, are flashing that in front of me because they, they want me to hit on it, that, touch on that, look at that, and then all of a sudden, uh, boom, I'm getting advertisements and, and then I get sucked into something I don't want to get sucked into. And so we must avoid it. And then secondly, uh, you know, we, we must practically abandon what traps us. We have to consciously avoid what tempts us we must consciously or practically abandon what traps us what is it that is your Achilles heel you all know what tempts you more than anything you all know what you're actually uh, consistently battling against as regard uh, to temptations okay and the sins in your life and so here we have again uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 8 Paul lists some representative sins that we need to abandon you know, he says, put them all aside, anger and wrath and malice and abusive speech from your mouth. Okay. This is the ways that we need to uh, think about getting rid of them, okay? Sins habitually, we strive habitually to eliminate. Now, again, that's just representative. I mean, but, you know, okay, you say, well, anger, no, well, boom. What was I thinking about in the first service? Anger. Wrath. Malice, I, I, I wish ill against this person or that person. Anybody you haven't forgiven? Hmm. Abusive speech. I asked my wife to make me some, uh, you know, quesadillas last night. And then all of a sudden I'm going in there telling her how she should do it. Well, that's not really terrible. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like, it could be abusive speech. We, we don't, you know, I didn't use any vulgarities. I didn't swear at her. I didn't, you know, do anything. But it's like, I was communicating to my wife that she wasn't doing it right. And you know, I don't know that there, is there really a right way? Other than, you know, it wasn't a burnt offering or a sacrifice when it came out. <laughs> So if that was the case, then I might, you know, have a problem. I might legitimately say, well, you know, it got a little done here. Not the case. So abusive speech. So what I'm saying is, for me, for all of us, we may pass over this and say, yeah, I don't have a problem with anger or wrath or malice. I doubt it. I'm guessing you do. It just doesn't matter what triggers you. <laughs> abusive speech, yeah, you're in. Uh, we, just, we just don't have to look for it. And if you can't figure it out, talk to somebody who knows you. Because they know what it is. And here we are. We're supposed to put this, put this stuff aside. This is crazy. 
Early on in ministry, uh, some dude who just recently come to faith in Christ came to me. <laughs> I'm, standing, I'm standing out in my garden, you know, out in the yard. I'm working in the garden. And he came up to me. And we had a burn barrel. We lived kind of out, outside of town. We had a burn barrel. And he came up to me. He had a, had a, a Ziploc bag. He says, man, dude. He says, I just got this problem with, with dope. I'm, I'm just, man, I'm just really, I just got to get rid of this stuff. Can you burn this for me? I said, what? Yeah, yeah, can you, just, can you just burn this for me? I, so I threw it in the barrel and stood up wind. Some of you don't get that. You can talk to me afterwards, okay? <laughs> the next week, the guy comes to me and he goes, hey, pastor, he says, man, can you just come, come to my house? He says, man, I, I know I got stuff in here. I know I got it, I, I got it around in places. I, I don't even remember where I put the stuff. You know, can you, can you come and help me, help me just kind of get rid and purge this, this place and, and get rid of this stuff, you know? And so he'd had, like, prescription medications that, like, you know, uh, stuff you could get addicted to, which he was addicted to uh, before coming to, to Christ. And even after coming to Christ, it doesn't mean he's not an addict. He's still, he's still struggling. So I'm supposed to purge. He was putting to death and seeking to put off that which was causing his sin and this is a picture for all of us yeah it may not be that i have to you know burn a stash of uh, of pot but or uh, purge the you know the car- narcotics from my cabinets but i might have to you know in the book of action what they did they burned the books <laughs> i mean yeah uh, they, they they burned all their magic books and and they burned them we have to get rid of that stuff to eliminate it so here we have that the, the god's spirit powers us to eliminate evil and secondly god's spirit uh, points the way to eliminate evil you see god's spirit dwells within us to empower us to do what we're unable to do in our own self and that's get through the sin so in verse 14 we see this for all who are being led by the spirit of god these are the sons of god the pathway the root the pathway for believers to kill sin and prove they are his children is being led by the Spirit, okay? The Spirit of God, who indwells us. Now, uh, I want to say something. I hope you stick with me here. So, being led by the Spirit, I think it means as the general trajectory of our lives, okay? Not that in every, in, in any and every situation, um, uh, without any exception, believers are always being led by the Spirit. No, that's Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. We're not always, at every moment of our life, being led by the Spirit. Sometimes we're not. But as a general trajectory of our lives, if believers are responsive and obedient to the Spirit's guidance, we're being led by the Spirit. As a general characteristic of our life, being led by the Spirit. Then we prove that we're children of God and we're able to have power over sin in our lives. Okay, that's what I'm submitting. Though we follow the Spirit's leading imperfectly, okay, conviction of sin, think about this, you ever feel convicted of a sin? Any new insights from God's Word ever? Like, whoa, that's amazing. I never really thought of it that way. It looks, it's a little different. Now, maybe somebody else helped you see that insight, but it's like, yeah, that, that came to me in a different way. 
or there's increasing obedience. I may still struggle with this sin, but I'm finding increasing victory over that sin. Those are evidence that you're being led by the Spirit. Because in any way that we're moving more towards Jesus, we're being led by the Spirit. Because Satan doesn't want us going there. Does Satan want you convicted of sin? Does Satan want you to have greater insight into the Word? Does Satan want you becoming more like Jesus? No. So when we are, it's evidence that we're being led by the Spirit of God. This is the, this is the idea, okay? And, and, and that evidence, that being led, is so critical to us overcoming sin in, in our lives. And it's conf- confirmation that we really are God's children. So when you're doubting, you say, oh man, I'm just, I, I, I just don't think I'm a, a child of God. Well, then ask yourself. And those are just examples. It doesn't mean that that's the only test you can have as to being led by the Spirit. But there, there, there's work. We, see, God's child cannot live in a constant state of disregard for and disobedience to the Spirit's leading. It's just, it's just incompatible. I mean, there's absolutely no Cyclone fan, there's no Hawkeye fan, or you fill in the blank, uh, Michigan State fan. There's none of those fans who are going to cheer against their team. Then you're not a fan. Now, you can cheer against the other team when your team's playing them, but you're never going to cheer against your own team. You see, living according to the flesh is no longer the activity of those who are in the Spirit. That's just not who we are. Now, again, I want you to hear me say, sometimes we do. That's Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. But that's not really who we are. That should not be the trajectory of our lives. Secondly, God's Spirit attests that we are God's family. Verses 15 and 16. And there's two ways that the Spirit affirms that we are God's children, at least I see in the text. The first is the Spirit's presence. Uh, In verse 15, he says this, For you have uh, now, you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, which whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So there's two noticeable impacts of the Spirit's presence that confirm we're God's children. And the first one is the absence of intimidation. No, you haven't received the spirit of slavery. We're no longer, and we've gone through this in Romans chapters uh, 6, 7, and 8, we're no longer slaves of sin. We're no longer slaves of the law. We are no longer bound to absolute, unmitigated obedience to the law that would avoid the consequence of death, which everybody fears. Okay, Whether they know it or not, they, they would fear it. Okay, So we're, we're because, the, the, I translate the four in verse 15, the first part, as because you have not received the spirit of slavery, to slavery or to sin and the law, which leads to the fear of death. Okay, you haven't done that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15 speaks to this. Uh, and, f- and, and free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all, of li- all their lives. Christ took on flesh, verse 14 says, and went to the cross and died for us so that to free us, those who through fear of death were subject to slavery. We were subject to the slavery of sin. We were subject to the slavery of the law. But we've been freed from that, so we're no longer afraid, no longer intimidated. God's Spirit delivers believers from slavery to sin, whose consequence of death everybody's afraid of. We don't have to fear anymore, all right? 
What did Paul tell Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. Speaking to God's people. Okay, secondly, uh, the presence of intimacy. No, we don't have a spirit of slavery, again, to fear. We have the spirit of adoption. In contrast, believers have received God's spirit. This is the ESV. Who initiates uh, and validates our permanent adoption the moment we put our trust or our faith in Christ. The spirit of God initiates and validates that we're God's children. He comes in there the moment we put our faith or trust in Christ. That's what he does. We're, we're, we're there. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 4. Uh, passage we looked at at Christmas. But here, read through it with me. It's on the screen. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those of us who were under the law, that we might receive what? The adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons, what does it say? God has sent forth his spirit into you so that you cry, Abba, Father. Okay? So there is this spirit of adoption in our hearts prompts us to cry out affectionately. That's the, it's, it's daddy. You know, it's daddy. It's, it's my grandkids. When their, their, their father, my son, is in their house and they, they run and they cry, daddy, daddy. They want daddy. They want daddy to hold them. And they, he comes up and he, they hug him and he hugs them and holds them. He's their dad. Such is the tender intimacy that every child of God has with our loving Heavenly Father who adopted us into his family. And I would say this, and I know that some of you, you know, that's just like a like crazy concept because your earthly father was a jerk, okay? Or is a jerk, um, you know? Doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change that that's how we are his children adopted into his family. So there's the Spirit's presence, and then there's the Spirit's assurance in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He's testifying that, 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 that we are God's children, okay? When believers experience uh, things, okay, so he's testifying. How does he testify? So when believers experience, like, spiritual fruit, love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we have prayers that are answered, when there's growth in Christ's likeness, that's the witness of the Spirit that you are a child of God. That's His testifying to you, hey, yeah, you are a child of God. Now, those are just examples. It's not the only way that God does this, okay? It's not the only way that he testifies. And when God does that to us, he testifies to us that we are the children of God. What is our response? We are able to say, Abba, Father. So I think verse 15 and 16 link together in that. It's not the only way that we test, that the Spirit of God testifies to us is crying, Abba, Father. No, I think crying, Abba, Father is a result of the Spirit of God witnessing to us 
that our spirit, that we are his children. When he testifies to us we are, and we know that we are, then we respond, or can respond, with this Abba Father. Okay? See, living according to the flesh is now no longer a priority now. Because we're in God's family. It's not our activity, we're in God's family. It's not our priority, we're in God's family. God's Spirit assures us of our salvation, our inclusion in God's family. And the last thing that he does in this text is he secures, he secures for us the full glory of our inheritance. He says, you are not just able to conquer sin, you're not just able, a part of God's family, but look, you are secured in your eternal glory. God's Spirit assures us of glory. And this is verse 17. Assurance is based on two facts. I'm going to read verse 17. He says, and if children, he's just said we are children, verse 16. Okay, And if children, and I'll get to that in a minute, and if children, heirs, heirs also of God and of fellow heirs with Christ, and if, if indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, Two facts. First of all, the prize of sons and daughters, children of God. Because you look at the text, he, he talks about sons, children of God, sons, children of God, sons of God, children of God, same thing, children of God. Okay, just put in there, children of God, that's good. And if, notice he starts verse 17, and if, which I think doesn't cast doubt, now follow me carefully, it doesn't cast doubt, but states a fact. He's not saying, well, and, and, and if you happen to be children. No, and if children of God, this is who you are. You are really children of God. God's children are heirs also. Um, I, I don't follow it too much, but Jacob Rothschild, one of the wealthiest men in the world, just passed away. And all of his children stand to inherit a gob of money, okay, or, or, or wealth, okay, as his heirs. Well, as children of God, we stand to inherit something valuable. And what is it? Uh, well, the angels uh, are those who come to serve us. This is Hebrews chapter 2, or 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 14. The angels serve us because we are to inherit Salvation, that's Hebrews 1, chapter 14, uh, one, chapter 1, verse 14. And they did not, are not all ministering spirits sent out to provide service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. So that's a cool thought. Just think about it. The angels are serving you if you're a child of God. You inherit salvation. That's what he says. We're heirs of God. What does it mean that we're heirs of God? We inherit God? No. We inherit what God gives us. We are God's heirs, okay? It means God, the creator of everything, is the source of our inheritance. And he gives to his children out of his boundless wealth. The riches, infinite, out of his infinite riches and glory, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. What does he give? Salvation. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 6, he, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's undefiled, that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for you. And then he goes and says, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get this inheritance. Now, that's, not, that's not all of that passage, but it's, our salvation is a living hope. Now, what's hope? What is hope? Define it. It's a confident expectation that you will receive something that you have not yet seen. Promised, but not seen. And so we have this confident expectation, okay, that, that God will provide us with ultimate glory not yet seen. Promised, but not yet seen. And this glory is secured, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, he proved he conquered sin and death. He was the first fruits of all who would rise again. That means every person who's a child of God. And so we have it secured through the person and work of Jesus Christ and by the virtue of the Spirit of God dwelling within us. This is it. We have an inheritance. As fellow heirs, we're heirs of God, but we're also fellow heirs with Christ, the text says. We're going to share in everything that God's Son shares in. Really? I don't know. That's what the Bible says. We're going to share in everything. You know, one day, you know, this is, the, this is the deal. Eternal life begins now, okay? The moment we put our trust in Christ, we have received that inheritance. But we haven't actually fully experienced it, which we will. It culminates in heaven. It culminates in, in, the, in, the, in a glorified resurrection body. Someday we're going to have a resurrected body. We're going to sit with Jesus who's sitting on the throne. We're going to rule with him. And we're going to enjoy the presence of God forever. That's inheritance that we look forward to. Okay? It's going to be free from all the sorrow, all the suffering, and all of the sin. Yeah. Then you won't have to struggle. We won't be battling. It'll be, it'll be ours. And the groaning of this present age, the groaning of this present world, creates a longing for Christ to return so we can fully experience all that God has for us. Uh, if you have your Bibles open in Romans chapter 8, just look at verse 23, and Pastor Jesse is going to be speaking about this next week. And, and not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, Link that to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, where Christ is the firstfruits of those who would be rise, raise, risen from the dead because of the Spirit dwelling within us. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. I mean, how many of us have not experienced sorrow, suffering, and, and pain in this world? And when we do, we typically like just try to suck it up and go on. Someday it's over. And the idea now is that we begin to long more and more for the over. That, we're, 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 that we'd be done with it. Okay? Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 is, a, is an interesting verse because Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven from which we anxiously await a Savior. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we anxiously await for a Savior. So there is the prize of sonship, and what's the proof that we are His sons? 
the certainty of our identity as heirs is proven at the end of verse 17. He says, certainty of our inheritance, if indeed we suffer with him. If indeed we suffer with him. Now, I'm going to say something about the if. Okay, I think I understand that the if is not necessarily a possibility, but suffering is the reality for those who are his children. It's like, you're a child of God, you're going to suffer. And so if we suffer, which we will if we're a child of God, it's the proof that we are the children of God if we suffer. Is what he's saying. Suffering as he did and for him is proof we are God's children headed for glory. When we suffer, it's proof that we're headed for glory. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19, says this. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. The world hates you if you're a child of God. And we get surprised. We walk along the, the trail and you see those little uh, boxes, you know, library boxes. My wife was walking along one time and she saw, and she saw all these books laying out on the ground. You know what kind of books they were? Christian books. Somebody had come into the little uh, library there and just thrown them out of the library on, onto the grass. Why did they do that? Because they don't like Christianity. The current world system under Satan's rule abhors God and opposes Christians. We should expect to be persecuted. As the Lord was, and you know what? We are supposed to even count it as a blessing. I struggle with that. <laughs> I, just, I, I just don't like, uh, you know, making waves. But God said, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men persecute you and insult you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice, he says. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. I kind of botched it up a little bit, but that's the essence of, of what, what he says there. Okay? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. I want you to look at this. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. When uh, Grace Community Church in Southern California decided that they weren't going to comply with the COVID restrictions on large group gatherings, and they continued to be fined every single day, $1,500 a day, they were fined by the county and by the state for their noncompliance. They were maligned and they were fined. Uh, they were vindicated, but they, they did it. And they stood up for Christ. As believers, we're going to be criticized. We're going to be ostracized. We're going to be marginalized. We're going to be minimized. And our persecution proves that we're God's children. And it provides confidence that ultimately we may also be glorified with him. So it proves we're children and it, it, it provides us with confidence. Yeah, I'm going, to be with, I'm going to be with Jesus. Suffering for Christ is not a pleasant prospect, but it's a promised one. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I, I don't like that. You know, that's like, let's just kind of, let's just kind of, no, that's just part of the deal. Part of the deal. God permits suffering. Why does he permit suffering? Lots of reasons. A few of them are, are this. First of all, he permits suffering and, and persecution. To deepen our love for Him. 
because we can think, well, yeah, I got this under control. I'm pretty good. I, you know, I got this figured out. I got life figured out. I'm working really. Things are going well for me. And then, boom, we get slammed. And, and we need to see that he is in control. It deepens our love for him. It drives us to depend on him. It directs others to find hope in him when I'm persecuted and when I go through it, then I can comfort somebody else in the suffering which which they've been suffered and point them to what God did for me. And finally, it demonstrates our relationship with him. John MacArthur put it well when he said this, "To, to take a strong biblical stand for Christ is to guarantee some kind of opposition, alienation, affliction, and rejection by the world. And sometimes even persecution from those who say they're followers of Jesus. I have not seen, I won't plan on seeing a movie that Rob Reiner just put out called God and Country, which is basically a smash against Christians. And so, uh, the, you know, the big derogatory term now is Christian nationalism. So if, you're a, if you actually believe the Bible and believe that uh, we should try to uh, enact biblical principles in our government and country, you are a Christian nationalist, which is the worst derogatory term you could be named uh, well, one of them, in the culture. You know, it's like what intolerant used to be. Now you're a Christian nationalist. So don't despair, though. Now, the Bible has hope. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though, but through our outer person, though our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Our present suffering will give way to eternal glory and will be liberated from sin's consequence, from sin's control, and from sin's contact. And we're going to enjoy the riches of living with God in eternity forever. Living according to the flesh is no longer our destiny. That's not who we are. So if you're here this morning and you have never put your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, here's the deal you're dead. You're going to die. And I don't say that with pleasure. That's your destiny. And I don't want that. But you don't have a choice. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. This is the plan that God has from eternity because he's not going to relent from it. We said this in Romans chapter, he said it in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wage of sin is death. But that's not the end. There's hope. If you turn from your sin and put your faith and your trust in Jesus, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You can go from dead to alive. And that's what I want for you. And that's what you can receive. You receive the gift of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You can be in right standing with God. So believe in Christ and receive him as your Savior. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, believe this. You're indwelled by the Spirit of God. Okay? And you're empowered by the Spirit of God. Think about it. Recognize your obligation to kill sin. Rely upon God's Spirit to do it, to kill it. Rest in the fact that you're a child of God. You go back through and read verses 14 through 17. See how many times it says, sons of God, children of God, children of God, by the power of the Spirit of God living within you, you can cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, help. I need you. That's what Jesus did when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Abba, Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, make it, make it happen. 
That's the privilege we have. Relate properly to the Father, you know. Do what he wants us to do. And rejoice. We've got a future that's coming. And here's the deal. The blessings that we, rejo- we receive by being in the Spirit result from receiving the righteousness that was purchased for us, made possible to us through what Jesus did on the cross. And so as we take the juice and we take the bread, we remember the price that he paid so that we could receive these blessings. So take a moment or two to reflect on what Christ has done for you. And then if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come and receive what these elements represent, the bread and the juice, and rejoice that you are a child of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your mercy in our lives. And I ask now uh, that you'd bring these truths home to us. I pray that we'd live in the power of the Spirit of God who helps us arrest sin in our lives, who attests to our identity in Christ, and who assures us of eternal glory. We pray it in Jesus' name.